0: Allianz Life Insurance Company of North America has been keeping its promises since 1896 by helping Americans achieve their retirement income and protection goals. As an industry leader in risk management, Allianz has committed dedicated resources and invested in helping independent advisors integrate risk management solutions, including annuities, as part of a comprehensive wealth management practice. For more information, visit www.allianzlife.com backslash RIA. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong, and as you know by now, this podcast is simply an excuse for me to have conversations with interesting individuals moving the business of financial advice into new and interesting areas. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Tim Maurer. Tim, thanks very much for
1: joining us. Thank you, David.
0: Uh, Tim is a financial advisor. I just recently joined Signature FD as the chief advisory officer, and we're going to ask him what that means in a minute. But after several years of similar positions with Buckingham Strategic Wealth, you've written books, Simply Money and the Ultimate Financial Plan, contributed to Forbes, part of CNBC's advisor council. So you're around, you're you're deeply embedded in the industry, I'd say.
1: <laughs> I think that's fair.
0: Also active on social media, and we're going to talk about that a little bit too. But before we you know get into some of the details, do you want to just take a minute to describe your day-to-day job? What drove you to Signature FD? What do you do there? What is a chief advisory officer? and you know how do you how do you talk about what you do sure
1: so what drove me to signature fd is certainly the people but also the mission and so there were people who i knew in common Uh, signature fd is one of the firms that literally from its founding 26 years ago has always had a focus on truly helping people with kind of a more qualitative and behavioral approach to financial advising as opposed to the purely quantitative side so that qualitative focus sense of understanding people's meaning and purpose in life and then helping point their resources in the direction of those things was really the big driver for me. And I'm sure we'll end up talking a little bit more about that, some elements that internally we refer to as, say, net worthwhile, for example, and helping people see the intersection of their wealth and their worth. That was definitely a big focus for me because throughout the course of my career, one of the things that I've been most fascinated in is the realm of, say, behavioral finance, behavioral economics, and the way that it can and should be applied within wealth management and personal finance. So my day-to-day chief advisory officer is a role that really exists at the intersection of advisor development and client experience. So advisor development, meaning that advisors have an advocate in in the senior leadership team that is listening to them focusing on them thinking about the advisor experience how they are traversing their careers within signature fd mentoring coaching and supporting the advisory core but then it's at the intersection of client experience. So I'm bringing the expertise that I have in the realm of behavioral finance, behavioral economics, as we continue to evolve our client experience. And then it becomes a circular process where I'm aiding advisors in pursuit of the optimal delivery of that client experience.
0: Interesting. So uh, fair to say you spend more time with advisors than with, with clients in this role. You know, we've heard a lot about this, and I know from your background, you've been involved from the very beginning in this uh, kind of what we call, I guess, for lack of a better word, life planning movement uh, in the advice space. Um, You know, you say financial therapy, behavioral finance, seems to have really grown in the past couple of years, I would say. Do you want to just say a little bit more about that and why you think uh, this change seems to be happening or this awareness seems to be growing?
1: I'm happy to. I, and, and it's really a movement that began more than 30 years ago. Uh, it began almost at the inception of the pursuit of financial planning as a profession as distinct from just being, say, a stockbroker or an insurance agent. When all of that came together, and the profession was born, there was already a nucleus of folks like George Kinder, for example, and Dick Wagner, who were focused very much on this qualitative part and the notion of quote unquote life planning. So in terms of my attachment to that movement, uh, I've been in the business about 25 years, and it's really just been about, say, the last 15. I'd say for the first decade of my career, it was running into challenges over and over and over again. And I began talking to advisors about this notion that personal finance is more personal than it is finance. This was just an observation of mine in the practice of financial planning that more often than not, people are running into challenges or they're benefiting from financial planning to the degree that we're focusing on the personal implications and applications uh, within their lives. And so that Like dealing with that and navigating that and seeing it as a challenge, then it became an opportunity. I realized that there was actually this, say, niche or subset of the financial planning realm that was focused more on this behavioral or personal or life element of the work that we did. Uh, Then I learned from the field of behavioral economics that the notion of personal finance being more personal than finance wasn't purely anecdotal. It was scientific fact. And so that's when my pursuit of that realm really took hold. I spent time studying with Money Quotient with Amy Muller and Carol Anderson of Pacific Northwest, an unbelievable group that does some amazing thing for advisors. I have spent a lot of time studying with George Kinder and the Kinder Institute and receiving the registered life planner designation. I've also looked outside of our industry at how professional coaches do the things that they do and help people move from point A to point B to see the application of that within the realm of personal finance. And there again, that's where we come back to this now, this collision with Signature FD, uh, a large and growing entity who has been pursuing that for a long time and looking for more help activating it within our advisory core and then certainly our client base.
0: Yeah, for sure. To me, the notion sounds fantastic. Uh, We just wrote a cover (laughs) story on uh, the rise of life planning inside the industry uh, and kind of trace some of its beginnings back to George Kinder and some of the others you mentioned. I do wonder sometimes in application how it works. One of the things I think I struggle with as well as maybe some advisors with this notion of being able to scale these kinds of relationships that you're talking about to, I don't know, what is the typical, how many clients does a typical advisor have? Uh, 100, maybe 120?
1: Sure. Let's call, it, let's call it 100, somewhere between, I'd say, 75 and 150, something like that.
0: Sure. And so the personal relationship and and the, the almost therapist-like, coach-like relationship uh, that this movement requires seems difficult to do over that many clients. Can you talk a little bit about how this works in the, the, the real world with client interaction?
1: Yeah, you use the word fantastic, David. And I do think the question is begged, is it fantastic or is it fantastical? Like, is this something that is actually beyond the scope of our work? You used two words, one therapist and the other coach. And one of the points of delineation I would make is that we are not called to therapy right? Unless we actually have studied that path. And there are financial therapists out there. Dr. Moira Summers is an amazing version of that. And it's been a joy to learn from her. But most of us are not qualified as therapists. And indeed, there's a differentiation between what therapy is and does and what coaching is and does. So I think a word coach is much closer to what we can aspire to be as good financial life planners. But we are not called to be therapists. And in many ways, if we take steps down that road, we're likely doing so in error. Therapy is about the the practice of going backwards in time to understand how people are wired and then perhaps to work on helping them unwire it or rewire it, whereas coaching is forward-looking. So therapy goes backward in order to get insight about the present. Whereas coaching looks at the present and then aids people in determining where they would like to go in the future and then acts as a guide in that process. So I think that it's important to make that delineation because we're not called to be therapists as advisors, but you also ask another great question, is this taking too much time or do we have the time to do all of this? And I think it depends on exactly how you spend your time. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the increasing commoditization Of the quantitative elements of the work that we do as financial advisors. A lot of advisors are scared of this. I welcome it. I think it's fantastic that now we can spend a lot less time on the quantitative elements and analyses with the aid of machine learning and even AI. I think that helps us spend less time on those quantitative elements and more time on the qualitative elements that really add even more value to the lives of our clients.
0: That's interesting, and, and it does also strike me that there might be a bit of a generational, error as well. I mean, most advisors who got into the business, well, maybe around the same time you did, uh, were attracted to the markets, right? And attracted uh-huh. to the numbers, and attracted to putting together portfolios and the investments. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's in the name, right? Registered investment advisor. Is there a generational element here, which keeps a lot of advisors from jumping in, because we're really talking about two kind of different mindsets, in a way.
1: Yeah. David, let me ask though, for for the sake of clarity, are you referring to the fact that you think that the newer or younger advisors are more interested in life planning than say some of the more seasoned advisors or is it the other way around?
0: I'm saying that the newer advisors are more interested in life planning than the seasoned advisors.
1: Yeah. Well, let me say that I have seen a great deal of interest in newer and uh, younger advisors in financial life planning in the qualitative aspects, in the realm of behavioral finance, I've absolutely seen a ton of interest there. The irony, however, perhaps is that I learned everything that I'm doing from the generation that preceded me, right? Folks like George Kinder, Dick Wagner, who sadly has passed on at this point in time, Rick Kaler, Ted Klontz. And so I, I learned what I know about life planning from the generation that preceded me. Uh, the generation that's generally considered to have shelved this as stuff that's not necessarily part of the work that we do. So I do want to clarify that. I believe that there are adherents to this practice all throughout the, Mm -hmm. the, the generational lines. That said, what I do think we see, and this is one of the things we learned from the field of behavioral economics is the notion of homeostasis. That is that people get used to and become comfortable with the stuff that they've done for a long time. There are an awful lot of advisors in the generation that precedes me or in my generation, which by the way, I keep saying that I'm generation X, I'm 47 years old, right? So right there, there are a you. number, there are a number of folks in generation X and the generation that precede us for whom the work of financial planning was either very investment centric or very insurance centric or very banking centric, had kind of that proprietary backdrop to it. Then we made that evolutionary jump to the realm of RIAs, as you alluded to earlier, which still had a pretty heavy investment focus. Whereas I do believe that newer advisors are getting more comprehensive training, more holistic training And yes, so those advisors have been focusing almost exclusively on, say, investments or even just the quantitative aspects of excellent planning that are vitally important in the work that we do. They may be less inclined to go into that territory that feels new and different. And let's face it, a little bit scary for us as advisors to go into new territory. They're simply more comfortable with what they've been doing for a long time. I think that's understandable. I think that's one of the reasons that you may also see this apparent generational divide.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, we talk about the commoditization of what a lot of the quantitative work that advisors do around Mm -hmm. the investments and the, uh, the, the, you know, those are commodities now easy to get, easy to use, easy to implement the work that's going into putting some of these, and I'm going to, I'm not using this pejoratively, but some of these squishier concepts of life planning Mm -hmm. into an advisor's workflow I know mm-hmm. that there are some companies that are attempting to build build this into the into the machine, so to speak. Right. Um, how far along are we there? Do you see anything that's really interesting on that front, or where do you see this coming out in terms of being more, I guess, institutionalized across an advisor's tech stack?
1: Yeah, well, I can say I'm super excited. To be part of an entity who has taken these steps right and to systematize these elements within the planning process but you're absolutely right we may be a little bit on the the vanguard side of this uh, we, we're instructed uh, for those of us who are certified financial planner practitioners by the cfp board to do qualitative discovery to better understand people's attitudes expectations right priorities in life and all that kind of stuff we're instructed to do that as certified financial planner practitioners. But it's, it's typically been relegated to, say, these niche voices like the Kinders of the world, like the Carol Andersons of the world, who we've had to go to in order to get the training on exactly how to do that. And so I'm thrilled to be part of an organization where I have an opportunity to aid advisors in the process of, of creating ways and means of navigating this. I alluded earlier to that concept of net worthwhile. So that is our proprietary definition, if you will, of what somebody's personal mission statement is that is then uh, activated by their, their wealth, their resources, not just their money, but also their time, relationships, and influence, for example. Uh, and then we're, we're utilizing now the field of behavioral economics to actually recreate the way planning is done, translating it from the language of the industry into the language of our clients For example, instead of talking about all the details of, say, five-factor investing, we're utilizing words like grow, protect, give, and live, and even beginning to create portfolio structure where the investments inside the portfolio are bucketed within these elements of give, protect, grow, and live. And so it's fascinating. It is new. It is different. And that's the reason I'm here. But I think- David, we're just beginning to see the application of behavioral finance. We've been talking about it for more than a decade now. It's been making the rounds at conferences and normally just giving people, say, cocktail party fodder to learn about, oh, that's recency bias or that's this bias or that bias. But I think we're just beginning to see the actual application and systematization of behavioral finance within the practice of wealth management. It's an exciting time to be in this business.
0: Yeah, the systemization is—I <clears throat> think the word I was looking for—and um, you know, finding places where that's happening. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want you necessarily to, to play favorites, but is there any kind of uh, uh, <laughs> you know uh, beyond what Signature FD is doing, companies or platforms that seem to be kind of making strides in this way?
1: I—I I would have to go. I think back to those niche elements. In other words, it's almost as though it's been outsourced. So. The Kinder Institute's been around for more than 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. Carol Mm -hmm. Anderson has been preaching this gospel for an awful long time. Dr. Moira Summers, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Daniel uh, uh, Crosby at Orion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got uh, Dr. Brian Portnoy at Chief Behavioral Officer. And so that's the interesting thing to me is that even to date, the best work that has been done in this arena has actually been tangential to the firms themselves I think it's just now that the firms are looking at this and saying, we need to be able to do this. And one of those reasons is that's that's literally the writing on the wall. David, have you seen the McKinsey study yet uh, on the cusp of change, North American wealth management in 2030? Does that ring a bell?
0: Yeah, it does.
1: It's it's a fascinating study, right? Where some of the smartest people in the world are saying by 2030, people are going to be looking at their advisor, not as an investment manager, but more as a guide or coach and that's that's what McKinsey is saying, the the direction this business is going. So I do believe you're right. You you eliminated this uh, a couple minutes ago before I started rambling more. <laughs> the fact that we're starting to see an acceleration in interest in this regard, I think that what you're seeing is finally the demand, the acknowledgement of that demand, and now advisory firms beginning to meet that demand. But the fun thing is that there are those. Who've been doing this for a long time because it's just part of who they are. It's part of the character of their their firm or them individually or their thought leadership in the case of folks like Kinder and Anderson and Money Quotient.
0: Yeah. Is it sometimes just a matter of when you talk about being a financial coach, just a matter of, you know, the financial advisor gives the client the plan, but then the client doesn't always necessarily follow the plan. Right. Uh, you know, is that where the breakdown most often happens that this kind of new approach can try to bridge that reason why and bridge that gap? Or is that too simplistic?
1: No, I think you're to something. I think that what, what is a, another word that we have used in the past to describe what an advisor is, right? If we were going to come up with a synonym for it historically, we might use a word like teacher. Uh, we might use a word like consultant. But let's think for a moment about how these folks actually act in their capacities. If we're going to use these synonyms, a teacher stands up in front of a whole bunch of people, literally condescends, if you will. And I'm not saying that in a pejorative term, they're just, they're up in front, standing up behind a podium and teaching down to the people who are there. And then they walk out of the room and it's those people's job to do the homework and do the studying and get the right answers on the tests. Consultant, people pay good money to come into a firm to look at what's wrong, tell them how to do it right. And then what do they do? They leave. Right. Whereas that's historically, I think closer to what advisors have been. And it's one of the reasons that you see these studies that suggest between 50 and 80% of recommendations aren't implemented. What a sad fact if there's any truth to it whatsoever. So that's where I think that words like coach and guide, however, yeah, let's face it; they're a little cringy, right? To refer to yourself as a registered life planner—the first time I was like, eh, "Do I really want to call myself that?" It sounds a little on the uh, <laughs> pretentious side. So maybe we just need to come up with some better words and phrases. I think that that you may have some of that challenge with the word "coach" too. But if you look at the definition of what professional coaches do, that is much closer to, I think, how we can and should be doing financial advice. Than the illustration of the consultant or the teacher.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The you you speak a lot about the client experience, and I'm wondering if you could just dive into that a little bit in this context of the coaching uh, element of advice. What is the client experience? How do you define it? You know, is it simply the way your material looks on the page? Is it uh the who what the kind of the Wait time, music is on the phone. You know, explain to me how you think <laughs> the client experience.
1: Well, I, I, you could argue, David, it's all of the above. So the the client experience, if we if we define it very bluntly, is it's the product that we, as wealth management firms, sell to the world. It's 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 what we do. It's the whole experience from the time somebody walks in the door or begins an email, receives marketing collateral, uh, re- re- receives their their whatever. Planning deliverables may come. It is the whole thing. That is what we do. And that is what we offer out to the world. But I think we are now beginning to use that phrase and that term, which I think is a a pretty good one, to describe something that is more holistic and comprehensive than, oh, I, I'm just looking at quarterly investment returns to see you know if we beat the benchmarks by a few basis points, which may have historically been a little bit closer to a lot of people's client experience. We're now talking about the whole client, the whole picture, the whole experience. and and we're we're cultivating that. And then that's what we offer to the world. So firms that have been successful like Signature FD and growing from a mom and pop to a genuine enterprise, we're now saying we want to make sure, that there are pillars, that there are aspects and elements of our client experience that every single client experiences for themselves. So each individual advisor team is going to have a unique method. Uh, a unique personality to it, a unique sense of character to it. Uh, And oftentimes, especially in our world, a a unique specialization, right? Whether it might be professional athletes or people who want to be philanthropic or people who are corporate executives and all that makes perfect sense. But we want to ensure that there are elements of that client experience that everyone, regardless of the advisor they work with, the team they work with, the specialization they work in, all of them would would, uh, enjoy those elements.
0: So this brings me back to this idea of personalization at scale, kind of a, a topic that gets tossed around a lot. There's yep. some uh, advisor networks uh, out there that want the teams that join with them to mimic, in a sense, the larger enterprise. Um, mm. So if you're a client, you know when you walk into that office that that is a advisor from company XYZ, right? right. Right. um others say no advisors have this personal relationship with clients they keep their own brand their own identity their own way of doing things uh we just help in the back office which is the firm that is going to succeed
1: it's the one that compromises emerges the two okay. right it's it's if all we are is individuals with a back office then let's face it, that's not actually inherently scalable. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it struggles to improve on an organizational level because there's no sense of coherence or cohesion, right? And so I believe in autonomy. I believe in, in advisor autonomy. I believe autonomy is a driver in motivating clients. But I also believe in a sense of common purpose, meaning that brings us together. So there are certain things that make a company uniquely who it is, or I believe there should be, there certainly are in our case. And I believe that's what brings people together uh, and develops that sense of cohesion and then frees them to go be themselves, but within a framework that continues to improve and evolve over time. If it's purely individualistic, I'm not looking to you know denigrate anybody for say, well, let's just put it this way we're seeing an awful lot of money flood into the industry, right? Private equity money. You're hearing an awful lot about this. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've talked about it in your show in the past. Mm -hmm. And if you just go acquire the whole world with a bunch of individual advisors or teams or firms that don't have a sense of cohesion or you unique unifying purpose to them, then what are you going to do after you've finished the collection? (laughs) You're Mm going to back into a client experience and just hope that it all works out because people have a unified sense of values, uh, mission. No, in our opinion, the mission goes first. The, the unifying values go first and that draws the right people to the cause. And then we go forth. And does that
0: unifying mission express itself in uh, uh, the same technology platform that the advisors use? Sometimes the similar marketing materials that the advisors use, uh, uh, everything you know, gels to this uh, kind of unifying brand or is there more autonomy than that?
1: I think it can and does. right? I think that we're just beginning to see, especially on the tech stack front, the phrase you used a while ago, even many great advisors who've been practicing financial life planning for quite some time, they have done the work of financial life planning, but then let's face it, what clients are interacting with in terms of deliverables and certainly user interface with technology. If they're logging into, say, their custodian that, that mm-hmm. holds the accounts, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily going to emulate that kind of holistic financial life planning experience that the advisor has offered to the mm-hmm. client. So there hasn't been that consistency. I think just now we are starting to see this happen. And it's one of the things I'm most excited about. One of the companies that we work with is Orion and uh, Dr. Daniel Crosby is the chief behavior officer there. He and I were co-presenting to our advisory team yesterday because we are actually working in conjunction with that unbelievable you know, technology firm to ensure that there is consistency in the client experience throughout, that the elements that I just referred to of Net Worthwhile and GPGL uh, that we refer to internally are actually emulated in the, the very experience of the clients when they log into their accounts, their portal.
0: Interesting. It, you mentioned Net
1: Worthwhile. What was the other one? GGPL? <laughs> GPGL. G-P-G. And that that means absolutely nothing to, to anybody if they're outside of the the doors of Signature FD. But that's uh, that's our shorthand for grow, protect, give, uh-huh. and live. And that's uh-huh. That's that mental accounting concept where the elements of planning are seen through that lens. And even now, increasingly, the elements of investing are seen through that more understandable lens than all of the IRS code and jargon that we have a tendency of overusing.
0: Yeah. As Signature FD grows, I mean, is part of the job to filter advisors who might want to join the network by their willingness to do something like this uh, or, you know, participate in this kind of uh, program, you know, I imagine that there's probably a lot of discussions going on with uh, uh, in, in with the you know, the growth engine there,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, talking to advisors all the time. I'm sure Uh, you probably find advisors that are more amenable than others. Uh, Is that an element that goes into uh, any kind of partnership?
1: I'm sure it is. But when you, when you say what you do and you do what you say, right? If somebody comes to our website to look at us, uh, whether they're say an end client or an advisor who might be interested in finding the, the ideal home, to mm-hmm. grow his or her practice, they're going to see all this stuff that you and I are talking about right up front about net worthwhile, about the intersection of your wealth and your worth. They're going to see the the grow, live, give, protect elements, all of this stuff. They're going to see it. And so I think that there are going to be both clients and advisors who self-select in and they're like, yes, that's what I want to be about. And there are those who are going to self-select out so the, the client who would come to a firm like ours and say, hey, listen, you know, I've got 10 million bucks. I'd like to give you 2 million. I'm going to put you in a horse race with three other financial advisors and see who went, ekes out the most basis points over the course of the next nine months. Well, that's cool. But that's probably not for us, right? And mm-hmm. similarly, the advisor who wants to be in that horse race, probably not for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think, uh, and I know we're, we're pushing up against the limit here, but I just got a few more questions, mm-hmm. that the volatility we've seen in both the markets and the economy, frankly, over the past year, uh, pushes more clients towards this kind of discussion with their advisor or do advisor, do clients, prospects see the volatility in the financial markets and the economy and say, no, I got to find someone who's going to really work the numbers for me. And I'm not saying you not look at the numbers, but I mean, uh, uh, you know, where the emphasis lies.
1: My personal conviction is that it is the former. And I believe we even saw this. And I think there's evidence to suggest this is true through a bunch of studies these days that the pandemic also did this to us, right? When it forced us to go inside, I think an awful lot of people eventually also started going inward. And so I actually think we're perfectly positioned to be having these conversations Yes, let's absolutely talk about your money and your resources and how we want them to be allocated. But let's start with the question of what's most important to you in life. And that's the thing. you know. We, we were talking a while ago about, we even use the phrase behavioral finance. And I think sometimes it sends us down the wrong path because it sounds entirely therapeutic. Mm-hmm. What we're really talking about is understanding what's most important to people and helping point their resources in that direction and not just their money. Mm-hmm. So I think that when we bring it to that point of elegant simplicity um then it becomes a little bit more approachable doesn't it it becomes a little bit more accessible we've been talking about values and goals for decades in financial planning and investing for that matter now we're really just talking about activating it doing something about it because i think that we've been using those words and phrases for a long time as an industry we haven't really been living into them
0: yeah no it's true um you know i remember early conversations with financial advisors and they said well how much do you think you uh you know want to have in retirement and my answer years ago was always well, as much as possible <laughs> we never get to the we never get to the uh the the the, the discussion of the trade off there right what does that mean yeah right right um, well
1: it's just like if you ask somebody when do you want to retire the answer is always yesterday or something yeah. like that <laughs> you're right
0: yeah, interesting. You know, I know that you're very active in social media. Uh this has been a place where I think a lot of the voices around this movement have found each other and sort of a I guess a subsection of FinTwit uh on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, in, in your perspective, is any of the changes to Twitter uh what are what, what's your view? Is that community as, as vibrant as ever? Or uh is you know the uh what we hear of sometimes is the firestorm going on there at Twitter. Uh Are the the folks scattering to other places?
1: I don't consider myself like a Twitter expert. I've developed a a decent following there, but it's only ever been my objectives have have actually never been to to create an audience or a following. I've always used it to learn and Mm -hmm. listen um, and connect with people in the advisory community in many spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And so not being like an incredible Twitter expert or knowing how to kind of... Uh, cultivate or or craft a way to build a community, et cetera, et cetera. I I don't know for sure. I can tell Mm -hmm. you, I have seen and noticed changes. I'm not even sure if I could adequately articulate them. I generally feel like I'm being sold more on Twitter now, right? Mm -hmm. With Mm -hmm. like these long threads and this kind of stuff, as opposed to just an exchange of information. So I can Mm -hmm. tell something has shifted or changed there. Uh, To me, it, it still provides, it's still additive. Right, it's mm-hmm. uh, it still adds value, and I'm still using it as a as a learning tool. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't consider myself a social media expert, but uh, yeah, I've seen a change, and I still see value.
0: Yeah, I guess I've, the question would be then: Are you learning as much and connecting as much and uh, as as you were before the changes? But
1: I, and 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 I think I could pretty clearly answer that: No. I'm not learning as much and connecting as much. I'm seeing an awful lot more stuff that I never actually wanted to follow.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. It, Tim, this has been great. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, I know we're we're a little bit past what uh, what, we, what we said, but uh, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Now, David, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to check in and I welcome the opportunity to do it again in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We definitely will. And thank you, for everyone, for listening. This has been Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. Allianz Life Insurance Company of North America has been keeping its promises since 1896 by helping Americans achieve their retirement income and protection goals. As an industry leader in risk management, Allianz has committed dedicated resources and invested in helping independent advisors integrate risk management solutions, including annuities, as part of a comprehensive wealth management practice. For more information, visit www. AllianceLife backslash RIA